With regards to this path of practice, if we have wisdom, then we'll be able to see into the arising the, and the cessation of sankharas. And so like the body and these forms that all of us have, they're of that nature and also the nama, the mentality, whether it's the emotions we feel or our memories or our thoughts and the proliferations that we have, we'll be able to see that all of it is of nature to arise, last for a while and then cease. Whenever we see something or hear something, taste something, smell something, or whenever any emotions come into our hearts, then all of that will arise and cease. So seeing into this, this arising, lasting and ceasing was a knowledge that no one had gained before the Buddha. The Buddha, when his parami was full, he uh, was born in Lumpini. On, if we're following the lunar calendar, it's on the 15th day of the sixth month, the full moon day. His wisdom was great. And there's no way that we can find a limit to his good qualities. Um, if we try to find a limit to them, try to see where they end, we just won't be able to do it. And if we were to try to praise the Buddha and praise his virtuous qualities, even if we were to do that for a thousand years, it still wouldn't be enough to, to honor that fully. If we were to spend all our life praising him, it wouldn't be enough. That's how much goodness he has. So when the Buddha was born, it was a bodhisattva he was born, and was born as the prince Siddhartha. Um, it was a human birth that he took, but he wasn't a normal human. He was a, a supreme human. He had the body of a human, just like us, but he was special. He had higher barami than anyone else, more barami than any humans, any devas, any brahmins. His compassion and his wisdom was full. He was able to have very subtle thoughts and very detailed thoughts, very uh, deep and meaningful ways of thinking that other people just didn't have. And so for us, it's normal that we see that there's hot, so there needs to be cold. There's birth, and so there's death. There's day, and so there's night. But the Prince Siddhartha, he didn't just stop there. He saw that there's birth and death, and so he also realized that there needs to be a state which goes beyond birth and death. And that's how subtle his thinking was. He was able to, to think in this way um, because of the great barami that he had developed, because of his great wisdom that he had built for many, many lives. So he was then 
determined to seek out that which goes beyond birth and death. He saw that if we take birth, then we need to meet with separation. We need to leave from those that we love, and that's a great source of anguish for us. He could reason in this way because his mind was very subtle. And as a child, he was able to sit under a tree and go into first jhana with great ease. His mind just ran into the state of samadhi. And then he went to study with his two teachers uh, as when after he um, left the, the lay life. And with ease, he was able to get into eighth jhana. This is something that other people were able to attain to, but he could do it with great ease. But he saw that when one comes out of that, then there's still suffering. And so he went to find that path, the, the path that leads uh, completely uh, out of pain and suffering. So he first searched through um, the method of torturing the body. And there was incredible pain that arose within him to the point where he fell unconscious three times. If it was a normal human being, they wouldn't be able to take it. They would die because of that pain. But because Prince Siddhartha was a special being, he was able to torture his body to that degree and not die. So he went without food for a long time um, until he knew that, that he needed to take some nutriment. And so some rice was offered to him by uh, the lady Suchada under a banyan tree. And so he took that rice and he ate it. Suchada's servant thought that he was a deva sitting there under the tree. And so she then told uh, Lady Suchada, who came to offer him rice. And he explained that he was practicing the path that leads to the highest Dhamma. She in turn asked for, uh, through the goodness of her actions of offering this rice, to be successful in her aims as well. He then went to the river and put a gold tray onto the water and made the determination that if uh, this gold tray flows against the current, then that will be a sign that I'll meet with success. And that happened. This tray uh, went against the current of the water. So he had great confidence then that he would succeed. He then crossed the river and went to sit under the Bodhi tree facing to the east. And as he sat there, then he fought with Mara's hordes as they came to attack him. And he sat there and fought with them until he completely defeated them. His mind then gathered together into Samadhi and it went into first jhana all the way to fourth jhana. And as he came out of that absorption, knowledge arose within him the knowledge of his previous lives. And he could look back over 
tens of lives, hundreds, thousands, millions, billions of lives. It went back on forever. And he could, could see into all of them to know what had happened in all of those lives, all of those births, was able to recollect all of it. And this is uh, the ability that the Bodhisattva has. During the second watch of the night, again, he went into jhana. And then as he came out, knowledge arose into the passing away and re-arising of beings. So we could see that some beings, they uh, died in, as humans and then they went up to the deva realms. Some went up to the Brahma realms and some fell down to lower realms. And there was this constant cycle going on of birth and death. But you could see the causes that produce these lives, that uh, made people get born into certain states. And he saw that all beings follow their karma, they follow their actions. And he saw this with, with crystal clarity. So he contemplated into this, into the nature of karma, the karma of beings, and how we all follow our actions. And before that, he had realized um, his previous births that went on without any limit. And so this was insight into the nature of samsara and this cycle of birth and death and how much pain and suffering it is. That we all follow our karma and that leads us on to suffering. So he then contemplated into the nature of birth and of karma and asked why it is that this comes up. Why is it that we get born? Why is it that we suffer? And he found the answer was avicca, ignorance. And there's this process that goes on, this process of 12 dhammas, that there's vicca and that in turn causes vedana, which causes tanha and then upadana, and then becoming birth, which is a cause for us to suffer. So this is the process of uh, dependent co-arising that happens within our hearts, that causes us to get born. So when you had clear insight into the nature of these 12 dhammas and how they interact, you could see that it's delusion that causes all the problems. It's delusion that makes us suffer. So having wisdom into the nature of delusion and, and what that causes us, then he was able to destroy that delusion. The delusion that there's me and mine, the attachment to physicality and mentality as being a self. He could see that it's all just of the nature to arise and cease, arise and cease. And there's no true self to be found there. His mind then became pure through the destruction of the kilesas and the asavas, the outflows, and he had succeeded in the goal that he wished to attain. So this was a second birth that he took under the Bodhi tree. His birth as a Sammasambuddha, 
the perfectly self-awakened being. The first birth that he took was his birth into flesh, into flesh and blood, as a human being. But a human that was higher than any devas or any brahmins. But the second birth was his birth as the Buddha, as a self-awakened being. He understood into the truth, but he didn't yet teach that truth or the way leading to it because it was so subtle. It was his compassion, however, his great compassion that led him to teach. So this day of Visakha Puja, which is coming up, is the day when we recollect the birth of the Buddha, his awakening and his Nibbana. And this is a very important thing that when he realized enlightenment, he had the great compassion to then go and teach what he had found. Because if he didn't teach that, then where would we be? We'd just be stuck in this whole cycle of self and all of the, the suffering that that causes us. But he told us the way, this path that leads out of uh, the cycle of suffering. And so he turned upright that which was downturned and he shone light onto the path so that all of us could see. We can see the way to walk the path correctly. So the Buddha shone the light of the Dharma into our hearts and into the hearts of many beings until they were able to become Savaka Buddhas, uh, Buddhas who are like the disciples of the Buddha. They saw for themselves into the Four Noble Truths, uh, following what the Buddha had realized. They were all able to develop their hearts so that they, were, they could attain that state of awakening. They knew into delusion and knew the nature of attachment that overwhelmed the heart, but they were able to get themselves out of it. And so if our hearts are dark, but there's a light that shines into them, then we'll be able to see into the nature of not-self, thus attaining to the Dhamma. We'll be able to perceive how all phenomena arise, last for a while, and then cease. And that all of the feelings of me and mine are just temporary feelings in our hearts. And all of the thoughts that we think, whether they're good thoughts, they're bad thoughts, we need to go beyond them. We need to practice to be above them, to be above good and evil, to go outside of birth and be beyond death. And so, and there was a disciple of the Buddha during the time of the Buddha that um, he saw a cloud that went in front of the moon. And his samadhi was very good at that point. So he was able to contemplate that, to use that as a reflection. And he saw how all of the Aramanas, all of the 
moods and the mental objects that we experience, they likewise obscure our hearts and they cover over our hearts. But they're only temporary and they leave eventually, just like the clouds that, that cover the moon briefly and then pass on. As this knowledge arose, then he was able to release the clinging that he had to all of these uh, objects in his mind. And knowledge arose within him, and he then became a Savaka Buddha. So the goodness of the Buddha goes on without end. And if no one, if he didn't become enlightened, then no one would know this path would be able to point out this path that leads to the end of suffering. There would just be this constant spinning around in the cycle of birth and death, on and on forever. We get born countless times, and there just isn't an end to the process. There's no perceivable end to sangsara. It just goes on and on and on. The spinning around constantly, between birth and death, a constant going on, experiencing old age and sickness as well. And this is a process that happens not only physically, but it happens mentally as well. And just within the space of one day, this process of birth and death happens all the time. Attaching to things as being me and mine, seeing things through the light of ego. And whenever we see something, whenever we hear something, whenever we smell or touch, then we all see that as being me and mine. So we then need to rely on the wisdom of the Buddha to be able to take us out of this, this confinement of self that we find ourselves in. But that's not easy. It's not an easy path. So at the beginning, we start off with the practice of dana and sila, of generosity and virtue. We also need to have great forbearance as well, because at times it's very difficult. Sometimes the level of our mindfulness just isn't enough. And sometimes there's all this, this strong feeling of self. Um, all of these moods of love and hate and fear they come up very strong. And we attach to all of them as being mine. We see it all as just being self. So we then need to tell ourselves, we need to inform ourselves that these things are a cause of suffering. But even if we do that, even if a mood comes up and we attach to it and we tell ourselves this is just going to cause suffering. Don't go and attach. Our minds still attach all the same. They don't listen to us. Because that clinging upadana is so fast, it's just like falling from a tree. When we fall, the strength of the Earth's gravity pulls us down really fast until in just a flash we hit the ground. But clinging upadana, it's even faster than that. It pulls us right into the realm of self. So when we come to study the Dharma, none of us want to have defilements. We all know that greed, hatred, and illusion are bad things. We want to be freed from them. We want to attain purity in our hearts, just like the Arahants have. 
But it's not a wanting that extracts the kilesas from our hearts. It's not just because we want something that we'll get it. And it's actually the opposite in this path of practice, that we want to be freed from suffering, but if there's a lot of desire there, that'll just increase our suffering. So then, so we come to engage of this path of practice, and we want to get out of suffering. So we need to put in effort, but not do that with too much desire. We don't have effort through wanting. So we need to have the mindfulness there in order to counteract that, that tendency and to know a sense of enough. And if we don't have a sense of enoughness, then we need to endure, have a lot of endurance. As we practice, we cultivate this path, then one day we'll have to be able to gain mindfulness and the stability of mind. Our minds will eventually gather together and become very firm in samadhi, and wisdom will have to arise one day. This arising of wisdom is the understanding that conditions are of the nature to arise and cease. And this is inner knowledge that arises in our hearts. Seeing that form, or these bodies, they're not me, they're not mine. There's no self there, there's no other, there's no being, there's no animal. So this is the arising of knowledge through wisdom. If we follow this path that the Buddha taught, and his awakened disciples taught, and we keep going, we keep walking it without stopping, then we'll have to see the Dhamma. It can't be otherwise. Ajahn Chah taught that there's water in the ground. And so if we carry on digging, then one way, one day we'll have to um, meet that water. We'll have to find it. And once we've found it, we can then use it to be a benefit for our lives. So if we carry on cultivating this path, putting an effort without stopping, following the way that the Buddha taught, this eightfold path of Sila Samadhi Panya, this path that the Buddha found and taught us, then we'll be able to destroy the kilesas for sure. We'll be able to realize the state of inner awakening for ourselves. Because when we've extracted delusion from our heart, then that's what's left, is the state of awakening. So we see that, that we contemplate into the nature of our bodies and into the nature of death, and see that physicality is of the nature to arise and cease. And so the Buddha himself, his body had to pass away. And we call this his attaining of Phananibbana. But that was just his physical body that died. It was just this human form that he took. But he taught us that when we see the Dhamma, then we'll see the Buddha. So therefore the Buddha is there within the Dhamma. And for all of us, whenever we see the Dhamma, then we'll see the Buddha. And this is his Dhamma body that we're seeing, his true body. 
So whenever we practice correctly, then we'll be able to find the Buddha. And it doesn't matter which country we're in, whether we're in Thailand or overseas, we can all walk this path of practice just the same and see the Buddha because he's always here with us. He hasn't gone anywhere. So for all of us, we should practice following this path of Dhamma and put an effort into, it, into this path. As Visaka Puja is coming up soon, we should uh, practice and offer our practice to the Buddha as homage to the Buddha. And in doing this, the person that we're really benefiting the most is ourselves. So don't just throw away your efforts. No, don't just allow the um, kilesas to, to come up strong, but carry on putting in effort and carry on practicing. When the mind is peaceful, then contemplate into the body and look into the nature of the breath and see how it arises and ceases. And this is us seeing the state of nature through our minds. So we gather our minds into peace and then we use that to contemplate. Or we can take the path of contemplating in order to get our minds into a peaceful state. We follow this way and then we'll be able to perceive truth for ourselves and all our doubts will be gone. We'll know that the Dhamma is true, that the teachings of the Buddha are true. And that when we follow them, then we'll need to understand them. So seeing that these teachings are true, then we in turn need to be true to those teachings. So therefore, we practice, and we practice in order to see the Dhamma. And everyone, whether they're lay people, whether you're monks, whether you've ordained or not, then be intent in this practice. And if you have that intent there, if you're wholehearted, then you will be able to exceed, uh, succeed in the Dhamma. <laughs>